three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. What's going on for the second time today? <laughs> well, since last I saw you, uh, not too much is new and exciting. How about yourself, sir? Not much. John and I usually get to see each other once a week for about three hours a day, but today right. we've been around each other for now, I don't know, six or seven hours since we're doing yeah, two shows Something today. like that. It's exciting. Uh, shared some stories. Had, had some, some lunch. lunch. Yeah. Now we get to hang out with a couple other cool people and learn some more cool stuff. I'm excited for this show because it, we're talking about toys and gaming, but also inventing and then also some startup stuff. So we're, yeah. we're going to touch on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, our first guest, Mary Cousin, she's from Tag, which stands for the Chicago Toy and Game Group. She's the event organizer. She's a founder. And they have an event in two weekends. Thanks for coming on, Mary. Oh, thank you for having me. This is exciting. This is cool. I'm excited to have you. We, Mary and I have been chatting for about a half hour uh, before we're, we've gone live, and you have a fun backstory, but also a cool concept on um, going from traditional work, you were in real estate, to now an inventing side of things, and then event planning. Tell me how you got started with Tag and uh, what got you to hosting what our second guest said, the best uh, gaming event uh, of the year. I would love to talk about this. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. So I was in real estate and I needed a creative side hustle. There was like something, an outlet I needed, right? So I started inventing games. I had a, a friend who worked for Western Publishing and he would tell all these stories about cool twin game inventors. And I kept thinking, I can do that. You know, and the Pictionary guys were his friends. And, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder than anybody would ever guess to design a game. But I eventually did get to one popular one, Hollywood's Real Spiel, that I co-invented with another woman, uh, June Phobes, in the Chicago area, and then invented a few more. But then I started helping other inventors, and then I went to a show in Germany called Essen, where there were families playing all over. It was so amazing to see this. Kids even get off school for it. And... I, I thought, oh, we need this in the States. We need a consumer toy and game fair for families, not like a hobby show or... Anyway, so I came back and rented Navy Pier. You know, I thought, <laughs> you know big from go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can do this. If a little town in Germany gets 55,000 people, I can surely do better than that. Well, it's a lot harder <laughs> to do an event than anybody would ever guess. But we have grown over the years, and we've added events like our Toy and Game Inventor Conferences, our Young Inventor Challenge, our Toy and Game Innovation Awards, and a lot of other sub-events. So tell me when that first event was. How, how long ago? 2003. Okay, so now you're on the 16th year of doing this. Uh, 17th, 17th yeah. yeah. if you count the 2003 year. Um, and obviously it's grown a lot. Like you said, mm -hmm. you got an investor conference. You have the Taggies. Did the, I get that right? Yeah, the Taggies. The Toy and Game in Innovators Award. Yeah. Those early days when you had your first one at Navy Pier, how did you even get everybody over there? Because you had started inventing while being a realtor. Mm -hmm. um, so making those connections to people who are obviously very um, involved or popular in the uh, gaming world. How did you make those connections and get them all to come to Chicago? Oh, it took two years. It took two years to convince enough companies to come to have a show. And I think I only had 35 exhibitors back then. And we were on Labor Day weekend back then. Okay. And so we got a, a lot of people that were just on the pier for Labor Day weekend. And, um, but they weren't the right people. Like they were just people kind of looking, oh, what's this? You know, it wasn't people like it is today that are coming for the toy and game fair because they're not coming to the pier in November for anything else. Right, yeah. You know? Especially so, how November's 
playing out right now. Oh, I know. Well, that's a good thing is I've looked ahead, no snow next week, and in the 40s. Awesome. Uh, I know. Makes a big difference. So how many exhibits do you guys have now? We have about 150. Wow, big But between inventor tables and, yes, big booths. And I know I'm geeking out to hear about this inventor challenge for kids, and I know Max um, really enjoys that part of what you guys do. What is that? So the Young Inventor Challenge, we started 14 years ago. And it was just something I was passionate about. My daughter was inventing games, and I thought, this is just a, it's a great STEM thing. It's great for kids. It also gets kids more into toys and games, right? And um, so when we started back then, we had, I don't know, two dozen kids or fewer that were part of it. But it was pretty cool. And we just funded it back then. It was just like something we were passionate about. But it's grown to about 14 states and five countries right now. And kids get licensed. Uh, We have three kids that had products come out this year, two with um, Play Monster and one with Goliath. And we have one kid we are so... He's sort of our poster child for success, if you will. He won seven years ago. Um, His name is Max. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he could. He's he's like Max. Like he's very creative. So he also got himself on Survivor. Wow. And he's. Um, Who is this? This is Nick Metzler. So big this, Survivor fan. Oh really? Oh, I have yeah. to introduce the two of you. He's the host of the Young Inventor Challenge now. Okay. You have to meet him okay. anyway. So Nick one seven years ago and his game got licensed by a company in, Cal- in canada still out there it's called squashed and then he went to usc interned at spin master in the summer and they're like we want to hire you and as soon as he graduated he went to work for spin master and now he sees toy and game inventors sort so of cool. like a whole full circle full circle and he comes back every year and he hosts our young inventor challenge and when he, he got himself on survivor as i said but he also Skypes with kids like in Palos Heights and like whole classes to give them advice on how to like improve their games. Like he's just a really good guy. You, you know what's and for those listening now, Offer Work is kind of talking about this. It seems like your industry does have a real big givers gain mindset of people who have become successful uh, creating games or inventing seem to be wanting to give back. You're doing it by giving young kids a platform to be able to. Um, showcase their ideas, but it seems like guys who've become successful through the help of others are giving back. doesn't happen in every industry. Is that a common thing in gaming? I think so. I mean, we, if you think about it, we're all about the, the family and face-to-face connection, people, right? So even at our Taggy Awards this year, we have something called the Hassenfeld Humanitarian Award, and we're honoring three companies this year for giving back. Like, um, Spin Master has something called the Toy Movement, where they're dropping games in war-torn areas. Hasbro has their initiative to get rid of all plastic in their games. And Disney have their Disney heroes in hospitals. So we do highlight that. And like, and then the award is named after Alan Hassenfeld, whose grandfather started Hasbro. And Alan is known in our industry for his giving and his humanitarian works. Like it, He is the best example of a man who gives back all the time. It's really good to hear. And games and fun and toys really, I think you hit it on the head saying it's family, it's fun. Um, it seems like obviously a very difficult industry to break out in, but probably a very fun one for you guys to work with. And because you're testing games, you're able to test it with friends and family, and it's, it's typically fun. But I also think you have to have a real passion for it because there's no set way to become successful. I mean, both of us have been in real estate before. Uh, the path to success in real estate is kind of out there. You can figure it out, be consistent, and there's a decent chance you can get there. But 
if you're inventing something and then you have to take it to market and do everything that you have to do, if you're not truly passionate about that, that's a tough industry to break it into. Is. It's true. And it's and it's very strange. Unlike other entertainment industries, there's a guy named Tim Walsh who's an inventor and a filmmaker, and he says it best. If you sell a million songs, you're on a cover of Rolling Stone, a million books, the New York bestseller list. But if you sold over 100 million Jengas, like Leslie Scott, nobody knows you. Very true. And why is that? Yeah, it's the know. same creative process. People are really feel they remember their childhood t- toys yeah. and games. When you guys were coming, first of all, I love Jenga. And now Giant Jenga is a big thing everywhere. I mean, I was in Mexico, uh, took my mom for her 60th birthday. They had giant Jenga competitions next to the oh, pool. I mean, it's cool. people are, the pool entertainment is playing Giant Jenga with people who are, are in Mexico. Bars in Chicago have them. And then you go back to every, virtually every household that has games probably has a Jenga. And you're right. She sold, what, 100 million, probably more Jengas. Oh, yeah. and, and I would have never known her name except for you're bringing it up. Well, we're running a contest now to have dinner with her at the Taggies to sit at her table. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure in the gaming world, she is a superstar. She is, but she's just laid back and cool. John and I leading into the show, I was asking John, you know, what are your favorite games from when you were a, a kid? And we started naming off names and came up with Monopoly. When you said Jenga, Jenga popped up, Risk, Scrabble, Operation. Um, for you, you come across so many games and asking you what your favorite game is like asking what your favorite kid is or asking Max what his favorite card is and you tell me not to. <laughs> but um, what are some games that you really like or types of games? Is there like card games, board games? Is there anything you gravitate to? I do like playing card games. They're easy and you can kind of change the rules a little bit all the time. Um, I know I like trying all types of games. The, the games coming out of Europe with their themes are really cool. It is like picking a kid. I really and I like and for me, I know all the, most of the inventors, so it's right. It's hard. It's hard it's to very then pick. Hard, yeah. And if you had to pick, they don't want you. Don't want them to hear which <clears> one you're true. picking. <laughs> um, but, but you know, Chicago has more toy and game inventors, probably per capita, than anywhere else in the world. That's what I was going to ask you because you brought that up off air, and that was interesting to me. The story behind Operation is a fantastic one. Yeah, he only got five hundred dollars for that game. Ugh. He was a college kid, baby on the way. He had this idea, so he took it to a guy named Marvin Glass, who act, who's here in, in Chicago. Well, he's gone now, but his best friend was Hugh Hefner. Mm-hmm. So they had mansions next to one another. There was actually a big spread in in um, Playboy with a Marvin's Toys and Games in, in the Playboy. <laughs> like, well, anyway, it's kind of a funny thing. But um, Marvin invented it. He never invented a toy or game himself, but he invented the idea of having 70-some employees working for you, inventing toys and games, and he pitched them. So he was a salesman. Interesting. And then after he died, all those, a lot of his partners split off and started their own. So like um, Big Monster Toy at 21 South Racine, you know, they have a big monster in the door looking yeah. out. So they're probably the largest toy and game inventing house in the world. Wow. They've got 30-some people there. Yeah, Ray Kemper, Lund, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm almost Chicago born and raised except for a couple of years of being gone, and I never knew that. That's incredible. Um, So tell us how people can get tickets and where to find information about going to ShyTag. All they need to do is go to our website, ShyTag.com, C-H-I-T-A-G.com. And it's all ages. I looked on your website. So you can bring families. Myself and John can go. Um, There's a little bit of everything for anybody. Uh, which days are open to the public? 
Saturday and Sunday is open to the public. We have a beer garden, too. Okay. Baby and everything from baby and toddler space to beer garden. Uh, Thursday and Friday are inventor conferences, and Friday evening is the Taggy Awards. And real quick, I want to touch on this, too. How does a kid who is interested in inventing or bringing their game to um, Shy Tag able to do that for next year? Because obviously this year that lineup is, is already set. How does somebody get involved in that? So we do have a couple of pages on our website under Young Inventor Challenge, and we have a design guide that's free. Open, it's totally open for anybody to use. It walks them through the design process from start to finish. And we also have videos. We have videos of kids telling other kids how to invent. Like oh, that's it's fantastic. just yeah, it's really awesome. And how many kids this year? Oh, just over two hundred. And tell me about because I don't want to miss this. Tell me about the rocket because this is a cool story. The rocket you guys have at the exhibit. So there is an inventor in New York City named Robert Victor. And he has five people working for them, and all they do is work on Nerf all day long. Their offices are long and narrow, so they because they shoot. Nerf they guns to, all the time. Exactly, <laughs> and um, and they're just right off of Bryant Park. Like you would never even guess this. So he comes out every year, and he wanted to do something for the kids. Like he's just, he just loves the kids, and said when he was growing up, he didn't even know you could be a toy or game inventor. They didn't know that that was a possibility. And so all year he's been building this rocket even hired somebody to do nothing but work on this rocket. So it's 10 feet tall. And <clears throat> they've been blasting it off on their rooftop in New York in, City. In New York. And they have to put a string on it to pull it back so it doesn't like look like a missile going across. <laughs> not, not good to do it in New York <laughs> City. Know? No. And, yeah, Frowned know, upon right? over there. <laughs> and, and then they take it to the park to see its full power. So he has to calibrate it, 20% power to go 100 feet. 25 to go 150 feet like so he stops it from going so far but yeah it's awesome it is just awesome so he's going to be blasting it off all every 15 minutes at at the uh, fair super cool yeah very very cool that'll be fun yeah yeah and ki kids are able to oh yeah jump up and down and interact with it yep super super cool and he's bringing it all the way from new york yeah yeah i know he's got to load up a van drive it across the country we're like we gotta take like social media pictures all the way. It's all gonna all be along the way of getting it over here. Because, yeah, how do you ship a giant toy rocket? Exactly. Very cool. So when we go, are we going to jump up and down? Absolutely, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm you can. Kid, I'm kid-sized. I don't know if they're going <laughs> to let you jump up and down. Well, that's funny. We also have the Wienermobile, and we have an eight-foot-tall cozy coop. Very like, we cool. have some, wow. yeah, we have some cool stuff. So it's neat, because you guys have a bunch of throwback games, obviously. Does video gaming now become a big part of um, your game expo? So it's not a big part. We have a small part of that. Um, we try to have something for everybody. Yeah. Do you find that people who are inventing, obviously there is a difficulty in the, um, the tech side of inventing kind of video games versus board games and coming up with that. And I'm sure the threshold of money required to you know, try to create a video game is quite a bit more than, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be totally off. No, no, you're here. absolutely right. Um, creating a board game or a card game is, is very, very different. Um, do you find that the two worlds do kind of collaborate still? Oh, yeah, video absolutely. And um, we, we actually give free space to um, Columbia College, DePaul. Let's see, who else? There's a couple of, there's a few schools. And it's for their students to show their digital games off to the public. And the pub, everybody loves it. All gaming is good. Yeah, all gaming's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I like I said, I imagine that somebody who wants to come up with a video game, their ability to actually get that to market's probably quite a bit more challenging. I mean, you have to have coding background, exactly, quite a design background. But it's interesting and it's fun to see that 
you know, we talked off air again about right side brain, left side brain, that there's a lot of people trying to innovate and create these still f very fun games. And you touched on, I said Monopoly is my favorite, and you made a good point. You said that in today's world, Monopoly may not have made it if it came out today. It wouldn't have made it. Attention span. Exactly. Um, Hasbro will be the first to tell you they would never license that today. You think it's attention span mostly because the game goes on for two, three hours, or just, just all of it as a package? All of it as a package to meet components. It's a big game, big True. on the shelf, right? Like it takes up a lot of retail space. Um, it's complicated. That's true too, and and it's almost a bump and a set into uh, our second guest, and we can chat with him and start roundtable. Now, when you look at retail space, the games are getting smaller. I never thought about that until you just said that. You know, from card games to board games, everything is almost more compact. Is that because of just the marketing and the cost to be able to actually have a presence in a store, or is it just shipping purposes? All of the above. All but, of it. Yeah, so, it's expensive. Retail shelves are expensive. Right. Very very pricey. And also, people are trying to be more um, mindful of, of, you know, it used to be when you opened up a box, there was a lot of air. Yeah. They're being much more mindful of that now to help save the world, right? Less plastic. Less That's right. Packaging everything. Yeah. And actually, because I don't want to forget this, before we do go to our second guest, tell us about our 94-year-old guest that's showing up. Because his backstory yeah. is so fascinating. I definitely don't want to miss that. So we are honoring at the Taggies this year a 94-year-old man, Ivan Moscovich. He's coming in from the Netherlands, and he is a five-time concentration camp survivor. And he has, he's still like the world's number one puzzler and game inventor. And he has three books coming out this year. He did the big book of brain teasers that's still like number one on Amazon. And he developed the Tel Aviv Museum that the San Francisco Exploratorium is based on. The guy is crazy amazing, 94. Like. What a fascinating guy. He is. And crazy accomplished. Very, and very quiet and humble. And He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot. Yeah. Very humble for that. Well, I want to bring in our second guest, and then we're going to do a little roundtable. I'm excited to chat with this guy. Max Temkin, he is um, a designer first and foremost. Uh, uh, he's designed uh, Emily's List, Obama's for America, but I think he's maybe most famously known for, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might be famous for other things, as being one of the co-creators of Cards Against Humanity, which happens to be my one of my favorite games, definitely my favorite drinking game. Um, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. That was about a uh, third uh, accurate, but uh, I'll take it. Give me the other two thirds. That's okay. <laughs> those are those are people that I've uh, consulted for and worked with. I did okay. not I did not design those organizations. That's a big team. Okay, awesome. Okay. I I misread the site, right. but I did read your frequently. Don't want to take credit for anything I haven't done. I read your fr frequently asked questions because I like to do a little bit of research, so I'm not going to ask you any cliche questions, but I do want to ask you. <clears throat> Um, growing up, um, were you always thinking of getting into games and gaming? Did you have that side of your brain that always worked on trying to create and invent? Or was this just a fun thing that took legs of its own and took off? Uh, no, the Cards Against Humanity was completely an accident. It was that we were in the right place in the right time. We, we got very lucky. But um, I spent most of my life working on democratic campaigns and elections. So I had assumed that was what I was going to do with my life. And um, with cards was this sort of hobby project that I made with my childhood friends. And um, we, we put it online and it developed a cult following. And um, we were one of the very early games on Kickstarter. And um, um, we, we just, we got, you know, like I said, like right, right place, right time. We got, we got very, very lucky. Um, we didn't know anything about the toy and game industry. We, we kind of just 
kids me, sitting around just hanging we, out. I mean, we do. We don't cuss on this show, right? No, you can't. Oh, oh, we didn't, we, okay, we didn't know. <laughs> what the, we, we we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. I mean, yeah. we just made the we we just tried to make the least bad decision we could make all along the way, and it, it, we got very lucky, and it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, and but, but no, it was not like my my life plan was not to design a novelty card game. <laughs> it worked <laughs> out. You fell into the right. Uh, Right card game. And did you guys creatively put the card game together as time went on? Was it just, and how do you come up with the cards? I mean, was it you guys just sitting around a table? What's the question? Like, what did, how did you guys come up with the actual cards themselves and the concept of the game? Uh, well, it started off with, with um, well, there's eight of us who, who made the original game together. And um, we had taken some improv classes and we were interested in comedy, but not, you know, we were in college, we were not like professional no real like qualifications i guess you'd say as like to do comedy writing or anything and we had made a prototype of the game and it was really funny and so we sat around with a legal pad and one person we take turns and one person would hold the legal pad and write down and the other seven people would say funny things that they thought of and we write them all down and then we take those and you'd play it and you'd go some of these are funny in the game and those would stay and then other ones weren't funny in the game and those wouldn't stay and then we did that for 10 years and and how did kickstarter kind of get you guys moving right no pun intended kickstart mm -hmm. because traditionally running a business there's like i said there's a path to success where you you know start an llc and then you take the next step and the next step you guys now have something that's fun and you think is going to be a hit how do you take that thing and then turn it into the crazy success it is now the the question is how did we make Kick cards against humanity successful yeah how did well how did kickstarter help make it successful well kickstarter helped make cards against humanity successful because we needed four thousand dollars to do to print the game and we didn't have four thousand dollars that was more money than we had so kickstarter helped us get the money that we needed that we didn't have and then once you had that money what was kind of the next step to getting you guys to we, we printed the game you printed the game yeah. and then how did you get it in stores oh uh well, we didn't for a long time i mean so the, what you're supposed to do in the toying i now i kind of know this now but what you're supposed to do is that so if you come up with an idea, you shop it around and you get a publisher and the publisher gets a distributor and then there's like all these hundred steps. Inter intermediaries and these all, a lot of people in the chain who have to say, yes, I like this game. And then somewhere down the chain, it ends up in Target. And now you're sort of um, at the end of this human centipede, right? Where like everybody, where you're getting a nickel every time. This is how the, you know, the operation guy gets 500 bucks, right? Is like, there's this, there's this human centipede of 50 people who, and you're the last guy in the human right. centipede, which is not where you want to be in the human centipede. So we cards, we got lucky. Like we didn't know any of that stuff. No one told me, like, I don't know. There wasn't, this was before Shytag existed. Like there wasn't a web, you couldn't just go read about this. And it was right. before Kickstarter and indie games and any of this stuff. So I, we just didn't know. We were like, well, I guess you just make it and you put it on the internet and people think it's funny and they, they get, oh, we weren't even selling it also at this point. We were, we give the game away for free. You can go to cardsagainsthumanity.com and, and to this day and just download it for free. So that's always been just how we got the word out. Interesting. And then, uh, and it's still up there. You can just get a PDF and, and make it on your home printer for free. And uh, yeah, no one told us. So we didn't get an agent and we didn't get a publisher and we didn't get a distributor and we just didn't do all that stuff we just did it ourselves and then people there was all kinds of stuff where we were like we'd sit around and we'd be like i wonder how these people get their games into target or get into toys r us or whatever like, i don't know i guess some point it'll <laughs> probably happen if it's supposed to happen and sure enough uh, down many years later that someone contact emailed us and they're like we want to have your game and now we're you can get it in, in target and that's been awesome but um yeah we just kind of waited it out 
Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we had no plan or um, business people or uh, anything like that. That's that's a crazy story. But also, the other thing that's nice about that is, like, I don't know that we'd be making any money on the game if we didn't set it up like that, right? right. Like, I think a lot of people, I still know a lot of people who are, who are very noteworthy toy and game designers and it's not their full-time job, right? They do it as a, as a, a love and a hobby, but, but somehow so that money is getting generated somewhere and they're right. just not getting it as the designer. So yeah, I guess I, you wouldn't think traditionally, yeah, you would be the last guy in that centipede and then yeah. you'd get two cents on the dollar of every right. single one that sold, but right. waiting it out in hindsight now was a fantastic idea for you guys. Right. But now you guys are obviously very, very successful for you personally. Um, what do you like? You're obviously a very creative guy. Um, what do you do day to day to keep that creative side of you going? I know you got some other games going, and I know politics is a, a big part of um, um, something you're passionate about. What do you do now to create more stuff, more games? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm I'm a little skeptical of people who have these. Um, these like uh, systems and hacks for creativity. Like it's like, oh, like do this exercise or read this book and you'll become creative and you'll get your creative totally energy. Agree. Cause like, it's, a, it's like, you'd think if that worked, there would be like, it would work all the, like there'd be people Millions who had lots of, of good ideas, people. right? Yep. And it uh, clearly, there's no sort of cheat code or system because not everyone has good ideas. You're right. You'd think like the guy who has the system for creativity would have all these creative ideas or whatever, but that's right. that's clearly not the case. Um, I think, um, what can I say about, about creativity? So I think the first thing is all, all people have a play instinct. Um, I try to listen to that in myself. There's a games writer that I really like named Bernie DeCoven. He's a, a games writer and a theorist, and um, he was kind of my, my hero in game design, and he talked a lot about this. But I think it's like, I think if you can find that thing in yourself, that, that play instinct, the thing where it's like, that's really fun. I want I wanna, I wanna play with this. I want to keep working on it. I want to show it to people. Not like a, a like a um, not like a grind it out like I have to like get this work done, but like a joyful like I like this I want to play with it. Right. Listen to that. That that's a good sign. Like from I try to, but also like it's hard. You know, like listen. Like I'm saying that like it's like advice, but also like it's really fucking hard to to realize that within yourself, right? It's right. very very hard to separate good ideas from bad ideas. And like I'm I'm not claim to do it. I've made lots of things that were bad and nobody cared about, and a few things that were good and people liked. And I wish I knew. I wish I could tell you just this is the system but like yeah. i haven't figured it out um so i don't know that there's a system but the other thing i can say about the other thing i can say about the creative process that's difficult is like um there's this journey of part of the creative process is not knowing what to do next it is not always clear. in fact it's usually very unclear what to do next right so you have this thing and you made it and you're like it's interesting but it's very flawed and there's no instruction manual that comes with a new idea you have no fucking right. clue what to do next and so a lot of people including myself i'm not i'm not above this right like i get into that situation i panic and i'm like i suck and i don't know what to do and it's i'm never going to make another good thing and it's very it's like this dark night of the soul of working on a project and not knowing what to do next and yet you just have to do it and i think i read this great um, um advice that's part of being an artist is to accept as normal the feeling of not knowing what to do next and uh it's just part of the deal right there's no shortcut or hack to get out of that idea of not knowing what to do next, you just have to not know what to do next and do it anyway. And eventually, you'll you'll um, you'll you'll sort of you're you're, you're out of drift at sea and you're in the middle of nowhere. And you hope that if you pick a direction, eventually you find land. Well, that's 
that, that's fascinating because I come from a background that's a little bit different than you guys, and I'm by no means creative, but I do have kind of a set path. In most of the businesses I started, hundreds and millions of people have done what I've done, and I just kind of mimic that where I have a fallback. I should do X or Y or Z, and it'll probably get me successful. But you guys have the you've created something and you have an idea and you might not have a million people that are a sounding board even for you to go to with your idea that could give you great feedback and you just have to run with it. So there's a fascinating part to that for me where you're creative, you come up with something, but then you're running with your idea whether you think it's right, wrong, or you have good or bad feedback. And just take that, it's a risk taker to a level that's higher than the average, I think even business owner or inventor because you guys have to take that additional risk of believing that your idea might grasp other people's attention. I think that's fascinating. Um, you have Secret Hitler, I know, and I don't wanna butcher this, and you have Humans against humans versus Zombies. Tell me how those two things came about. Secret Hitler is a lot of fun. I mean, just from the um, uh, description of it online, I've never played it, but I'm totally fascinated by it. Because oh, I think it, it pulls your politics, I think, in a little bit. I mean, I, I started looking at, um, uh, the Trump version of things you had, and it's it, your political side of you, your passion came into your gaming side. It's yeah, fun well, to see I that. would dispute that there's such a thing as a political side of people. I mean, politics is the way that we've got the world set up, and okay. so I don't know what it would mean to make something that's absent politics. Maybe you could, maybe there's an example out there, but I certainly don't know what that would be. I think, I mean, all, all art, all art is a is a political act. Sure. You're doing politics when you when you make something or don't make something. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a, I have a yeah. political science background, so yeah. I can see how you would. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Right. So yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah. No. I mean. I mean. Um, uh, but uh, humans versus zombies. I created with my friends in college, and it was just a big game of tag. And um, um, it was. Um, um, it's in a category of game called called big games. And this is also how I met uh, Bernie DeCoven, and it was this event called Come Out and Play. And um, um, I, we got invited to show our to show that game, humans versus zombies, at this at this festival, and that's where I met some sort of game academics and game writers and that kind of blew my mind because I was like oh my god there's like artists who I don't know there's like people whose job it is to like think about games and play and stuff and that that was that was a that was a big moment in my life and then uh, Secret Hitler was a, a game that I made with um, some friends who I uh, in Chicago we, we work together and uh, it's two other game designers Mike Boxleiter and Tommy Moranges and our artist uh, Max Schubert and that was came out of um, uh, so we were playing. We got really into hidden deception, uh, hidden, uh, social deduction, and, and um, uh, hidden roles games, like werewolf, mafia, would be like the the most basic ones. And we played them all to death in our office every night. We'd get together and play these games. And um, uh, yeah, and then eventually, just that's that that play instinct, right? Of like Mike and Tommy started going, well, what if it was like this instead of like that? Yeah, and it evolved and evolved and evolved and eventually they had this new thing and and i played it and i was like this is this is so much fun and um um i think um mike had sort of come up with the we, we were at the time we were all watching trump kind of come through the republican primaries like a like a wrecking ball right and it was weird and scary and we sort of looked at this guy and we were like this this guy's a fascist and it's like this is amazing that people are voting for this anti-democratic candidate so we were like that and, and at the same time we're playing this game and i think that's where the, the the hitler theme came from and the world war ii theme came from so the premise of secret hitler is you're all sort of uh, members of of the 1930s german like uh, parliament and um you're trying to um uh, find the hidden fascists before they take control of the democracy and i don't think any of us imagine that we wind up in this like jumanji situation where the game yeah. became real but uh, here we are 
Fascinating. Very, very fascinating. So are you the type of guy that does sample a lot of games and play a lot of games? Am I? Uh, like, do, do you do you look? Like, so I, you're going to go to Shy Tag. Do you take a lot of inspiration from looking at other games and playing them? Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I like I, I look at myself, and again, I'm the type of person that I don't think I have that creative side and that inventor side of me. Um, but I'll sit at home sometimes and I'll listen to podcasts and some Audible. But and I probably should do more of this. I don't sit back and and play with new games or keep my mind creative. And I feel like you probably spend some of your time at least looking at inspiration from new games and yeah again i'm i'm a little skeptical of this concept of of inspiration i think the, it's one of those things where the closer you look at that the more that it kind of disappears I, I just don't think it's that it doesn't is hold it up. idea pooling more sure like, I, what, I what might resonate with with folks i mean i think people i think what you do is you try to consume data art and media and you develop your worldview and then you mix it into something new and something comes out and it's sort of a factor of um it's sort of a remix of all of the 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 different media that you've consumed so yeah i mean i, I try to i i love learning about new things i mean i because i like I, pl I play board games not as many as i used to i'm more right now i'm like learning about magic and yeah. like magic doing magic tricks and stuff and i'm getting i'm like i'm fascinated by that and i suck at it and it's really interesting to like be a beginner and and try and like pick up this new skill so that's all that's a fun journey and i'm get, i'm probably spending more time on that any, now that i'm on playing games any but, favorite magicians do I have any? Well, my my the greatest of all time is uh, Matt King, who's in uh, at uh, Harrow's in Vegas, but the funniest the funniest guy in the world. And uh, there's another guy who's um, Ivan's uh, um, creative collaborator and friend, Mark Ducati. Mark is a, a prolific game, toy and game inventor. Again, childhood hero. I, I had all of his toys growing up and all of his magic tricks going up, and I've gotten lucky enough that I get to meet Mark. And um, he's awesome. Oh, he's. Really I mean, awesome. I have, a good, I have some great stories about him. I just spent a uh, whole time trying to get uh, out of, trying to like debunk this idea of like the auteur, like genius creator, because I I just don't think it's good advice or it's help. I just think it's a it's a myth that needs to be destroyed in 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 games, but in all art, really. But but then Mark is actually Mark's the real deal. Yeah, Mark's a genius. Is. I hate he to is. say it. I hate, <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say I hate to contradict myself, but Mark actually is a genius. He's he's an amazing guy. So, so he's uh, he's one of my other favorite magicians. I am. Uh, I, I love magic. Mary, do you know the Magic Show, the book that Mark and Ivan made? Yes. Have you have you read? Do you have like a? It's hard to find an intact copy of now. No, I've only seen it with Mark. Okay. And in, I was just in Amsterdam with Mark, oh, visiting cool. some yeah people over there, and Ivan, of course. Cool. And uh, one of his friends there has the book, and we were going through it. It's. Uh, I mean, I don't know why I'm bringing this up because people can't get it. It's it's long out of print, but uh, it's this kid's book, like a pop-up book, but it does magic tricks. And the, you'd think, how would you be fooled by a pop-up book? But you are. It's so fooling. Like, it's amazing. And then there's all these Easter eggs. Mark was showing me the, like, advanced yeah. version of it. And I had this book as a kid, and I know how it all works because you can take it apart and learn how it works. And Mark fooled me again with it. Like, and I'm a... You know, it's like I was like, this is on. This is incredible. That book is amazing. I hope someday it gets back into the world. But uh, oh, maybe you can publish it. Maybe seems no like a, seems like a big project. 
So my first time ever going to a magic show was David Copperfield. Oh, hell I yeah. actually caught the ball, so okay. I got to go on stage. Okay. What show was this? What was the? What were some of the big things? Was so it the, in Chicago. In Chicago. Was so it flying, 1994. Uh, no, it was after that. After. Okay. Yeah, I, he made a car disappear. So my act, the oh. one that I went on stage, he basically had a 1950s car that was, I think, his dad's car. So he he introduced it as part of the show, and he had me and maybe five other people go on stage. And he wanted us to examine the car and make sure it's a real car and then walk around the stage. So yeah. here I'm geeking out and I'm a car guy. So I open the door and I'm like, oh, that's a feels like a steel door. And then I put my hand near the exhaust and he's like, oh, and he immediately was like, car guy. I was like, exhaust is warm. And we step away and he pulls the, um, the curtain over the car, pulls it up and we're still on the stage. So you can feel if something drops and the car is gone. And then we're able to walk to where the car was and realize that there's no car. And I was blown away. And obviously, you know, there's a trick behind that. But I'm like, whatever he's done is fascinating. So now I haven't seen the show in Vegas that you just referred to, but I've seen a bunch of shows in Vegas. And now they're mostly mentalists, but I got to go check them out. Every time I go to Vegas. That car disappearance, I think, is probably if you talk to a bunch of magicians, most people would agree that that's the greatest disappearance maybe ever. Yeah. I don't know how. I mean, it's... it's amazing. I was the distance of me to John, and for people watching, they can't really uh, gauge that distance, but 10, 15 feet away from the car when he did it, and I was on the stage, so I should have felt a, a shift in the stage when a, what, 5,000-pound car moves, and it was gone in the blink of an eye, and I was just sitting there, and I, I walked back to my seat, and everybody's like, do you feel anything? Did you see anything happen? I'm like, listen, I walked around that stage, I opened the car door, it felt like a steel door, and in a blink of an eye, that car was gone. And I was just blown away. And I've seen Chris Angel. I've seen Paranormal in Vegas. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen that. He's a mentalist. That was a show that I really, really like. But I have a big love for magic. I think it's fascinating, and I can never figure it out, and it drives me apeshit when I can't. Yeah, magic is great. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to take that mm-hmm. art? and Is it just a hobby now, or do you want to take that and actually become a, uh, no, a show I, magician? I do, I do not want to become a magician. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sleep and hang out, and watch <laughs> watch Star Trek. Yeah. Well, you're, you're you're at a point now that yeah. you can probably do that. Yeah, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. How do the two of you guys meet? Hmm. Well, I've been to your offices a couple yeah. of times. I've been to I've been going to Tag for for a long time. For years. How now. long has it been has it been going? Since '03. So yeah, I've been wow. going since at least since I around when I graduated college and. 2010, maybe two, somewhere in 2008, 2009, I went to my first one. Yeah. Yeah. And Max is a legend. Yeah. Total I'm a, legend. a what? A legend. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding? You shook up the whole toy and game industry. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I talked to a couple people when the show was happening today. They're like, oh my God, Cards Against Humanity. That's my favorite. Usually it's everybody's favorite drinking game now. And I, it's fun because I've played that game with people from the age of 20. So I've played it with grandparents that are 80. And I, every time I've played that game, whether somebody's 20 or 80, they're having a good time. And what's fun is it transcends that age group of 80. When I played it with um, a friend's grandparents, I'm like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna suck. Like some of these things, they're gonna be real pissed about. But they were laughing the whole time. And they, yeah. were, they were the grandparents that I didn't think would have fun with it. And they just had a blast with it. So I think it's something that people just enjoy. And it keeps you lighthearted. I mean, there's a lot of up- uptight people <laughs> today, but. It's a game that if you're playing it, you're having a good time. You're definitely not that sort of uptight person. Uh, which days are you going to Shy Tag? Oh, I don't know. You I'll don't go. Know well, when's the taggies? Friday I'm going night. to do magic at the taggies. I Mark know. asked me to do magic, so I'll do anything Mark asks. I know. When Mark told me you did magic, mm-hmm. I was like, "Come on, I didn't know that." Yeah. And Mark's like, "Yeah, 
He goes, I'll ask him. Like, and I was like, hey, this is awesome. What's your magic now? Is it card related or is it, are you doing? Sure, whatever. Yeah, doing whatever. all kinds of stuff, yeah. Disappearing acts? Yeah. Should do, <laughs> did you see David Blaine when he's been in town? I've never seen David Blaine perform. I saw, so I was at a, I have a great David Blaine story, which is I went to a magic convention um, last year and magic conventions are much smaller than Chi Tag. I mean, it's a smaller hobby and there's no money in it. And so it's a, they're in a hotel kind of a situation. And um, um, Blaine flew in and was a surprise. He wasn't really a guest, but he was sort of just came, he just sort of came to hang out with people. And he's such a big name that everyone was, you hear, oh, David, David Blaine's here, David Blaine's here, David yeah. Blaine's here. And I've never met the guy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have no relationship with him. Don't know him at all. But he, but I have friends in magic where like my teachers who, and my friends who know David. And so he sat behind us. We saw uh, this uh, show and he sat behind us and pickpocketed everyone. And then show, awesome. and then afterwards he had all our name badges on and stuff. And that was fun. And then we were, supposed to, watch. we were supposed to go out to dinner and we, we were like, okay, we'll see you there. And we go to dinner and Blaine's not there and he's not there and he's not there. And eventually we just had our dinner and had drinks and waited and we came back. And it turns out what had happened was right as we were leaving, he had seen that there was a kid's, uh, like, um, I don't know what it is, but it's like a kid's performance. Like all the kids at the, stop it, Siri. The kid, <laughs> he had heard that there was a, like a kid's performance, like all the kids, you know, under whatever, under 13, the kids were performing. And it was this long two-hour talent show. And he sat in the front row. He went. He skipped dinner with all of his magician buddies and went alone to this kid's Very magic cool. show and wow. sat in the front show and uh, front row and applauded for every kid and stayed until the end of it. Oh, that's and a great I was story. Like, and I was yeah. like, that's the coolest shit I've ever heard. Yeah, that that's really great is. to know yeah. about him because you don't yeah. you don't get to know. I mean, he seems like a nice guy when he's uh, performing up there, but yeah. you don't get to see that side of him. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Good, good, good. Yeah, I I was like for as much as it would have been cool for me to meet the guy, like that's yeah. actually an even better like like uh, you know like legend of him to have yeah. happened. Yeah, I love that. Perfect excuse for skipping that. Yeah, dinner. exactly. Yeah. Um, what was fascinating is he you know he's part magic, but he's also part kind of training his body mm. when he was staying underwater. It was painful. I mean, your most magic shows the actual act lasts a couple minutes at most, mm -hmm. but he's twenty minutes underwater. So you're just staring at a dude in a water tank for twenty sure. minutes. He's building that anticipation and that anxiety. And I mean, he was in the water for twenty minutes. He yeah. should have died. Most totally. people would have died. And it's crazy how much he trains his body. Do you? Uh, there's like uh, tons of uh, poker stuff in here. Does, is there a, one of these decks? Like, uh, can I use it? Sure. Yeah. Can, we do some, can you come? Yeah. Can you come over? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Come join I'm us. Excited. Oh, we're gonna have a. We're gonna have a. I just need one of whatever. One of whatever these decks has fifty-two cards. They all do. Okay. Oh, I'm excited about this. I can shuffle. It's. Uh, I can use oh, it. Yeah, okay. Cool. It's, it's out. Wait. No, you gotta come over. Oh, I gotta run the board. You gotta do it to. All right. Well, I'm That's out. It. No magic. <laughs> oh, come on. No, I don't have a. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Can you keep the camera? Put it on the main iPad. It'll be fine. You could just leave let's it on let's this let's main let's iPad here. Let's, let's live a little. <laughs> let's do it. All right. I'm excited. Wait a minute. Oh, these are like... Uh, these cards have different backs? Oh, you know what? It's from different... Uh, decks. decks. No, we need a real deck. All right. We'll keep Otherwise, you're going to think I'm cheating. We won't well, think I'm cheating. That I didn't know you were going to ask for this. We're gonna have to shuffle. Wait, we need back. a real deck, though. Right. Um, so, okay. was it just 
you enjoyed watching magicians and that got you i so i saw um so the deal is uh, there's this other game designer who i really like named uh, alan lee he's the creator of uh, exploding kittens and uh, I've been following Alon's work since I was very young, and he um, created this type of game called an ARG. Do you remember these? They're like uh, alternate reality games. He did one for called The Beast that was promoting the movie AI. They were these okay. were big deals in the game in the puzzle and sure game industry. And when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I was sort of too young to participate, but it was this like real world puzzle hunt all throughout the world, and it was on. It was in the most ambitious, like coolest creepiest most amazing thing and um i have a deck if we if we don't have no, a full one okay. oh cool okay so and uh i was follow i would go home and i'd read about it on the internet all, all the stuff i didn't know who i didn't know alan at this point but i was just like i just thought this was the coolest thing in the world and i'd go to school and talk with my friends about it and then later when i got introduced to alan when he was working on exploding kittens and stuff and i kind of put two and two together that he was the guy who had made this i was like this is the coolest guy i've ever met so alan and i've been friends forever and Alan did this really ambitious uh, booth at some gaming conventions uh, for Exploding Kittens where he hired a magician named Jordan Gold to help design the booth. And Jordan was back there working the booth. And um, I had invited a bunch of friends out to go get drinks. And um, Alan texts me and he goes, hey, I'm on my way over to the bar. Can I bring my magician? And I was like, excuse me? And he goes, my magician. Can I bring my magician? And I was like, is this like a weird, like a sex, a sex thing? Like, what is this? Yeah. And he's like, no. He's like, I have a magician helping me. I think you guys will be friends. I want to bring him. And I was like, very weird, but okay. And so he brings Jordan, and Jordan comes, and we hang out, and we have a wonderful time. And then at the end, Alan uh, is like, Jordan, you have to show Max something. And, and Jordan takes out of his pocket a little pile of rubber bands, and he puts them on the table. And I'm like... I, I wasn't. I had been interested in magic as a kid, but I, I was like, "What the?" I was like, "What the hell is he gonna do with these rubber bands?" And Jordan just destroyed me. Like it was one of the most magical and unbelievable things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was crazy. It was insane. He to this day, Jordan did a bunch of tricks with these rubber bands that to this day he insists to me that he doesn't know how to do and they're not tricks and he didn't do them. But I think that's <laughs> just part of the the trick at this point. Uh, but it well, was he's really, carrying them in his pocket. So yeah, it was ama- It was incredible. So that just kind of broke my brain and i've spent the last two years um just getting just getting into it not for any reason i just think it's cool i think it keeps your mind sharp and it's probably keeping you very entertained i'm, I'm excited to see what happens here Who's john getting, john's wow. joining in there we go all right we got john on the podcast Boom. um john what do you think is the most fair way to pick a card Hold them out. Let me pick. You know, you know, you can make someone pick a card. You know, magician, you go like this, and they can make you pick a card. Yeah, it's like the mind, uh, the mentalists. I I saw a mental, another mentalist in Vegas, and he was saying there's a difference between mentalists and magicians. And his claim is that a magi- magician does a trick. I actually make you do what I'm hoping that you would do. Hmm. Interesting. That was his take. I'm going to refrain from commenting on that for reasons yeah. of not making people mad at me. Uh, well, I don't have that many mentalists mix, watching. Mix these up. We can make them all mad. So I think the I, I feel free to disagree. I'm happy to go like this and you take one. But I, you know, there's lots of ways magicians can make you take a card, right? Sure. And I don't want you to think that's happening. And I don't I don't want to know what the card is. Okay. But um, what do you think if if I'll turn my back mm-hmm. and you take that deck and cut it and take any card you want and and just take it out of the deck? Just take it out of the deck. Just take it out of the deck. I'll and turn my. I'll tur- don't even show it to anyone. Just put it. Just put it down on the table. Can I take a look at it? No, not yet. You got it? Yep. Okay, I'm going to take these back. 
Yep. You got it? Yep. And I want you to look at the card, mm -hmm. but don't show it to anyone else. That's just for you. Okay. You got it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead and put it here. Oh. And we're gonna. what I'm going to do is... This is this is the card, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're gonna put it in the middle of the deck here, okay. and square it up like that. Got it? Gotcha. Um, okay. I'm gonna give so I'm gonna give everyone a pile. You play poker, right? I do. You guys both play poker. Yes. Okay. So we're each gonna get. Um, I'm gonna give us each um, a little pile of cards to work with. Uh, I'm gonna try and get like four even piles of cards. There. Let's see if I can. I'm excited. This is Every time magic happens, my anticipation builds. Next, he's going to make our table disappear. Like What's that? <laughs> Next, our table will disappear. Right. Um, all right. I'll try and... That's about even. Um, go ahead and grab a pile. Give that to someone. There you go. And then maybe we'll just go We'll just go clockwise. Sure. Okay. So everyone grab a pile. I'm, and I want you to... We're going to hold it like this. This is called dealer's grip. Okay. Right? Like how they, like the, how they do it at a casino. And um, go ahead and deal a card down in front of yourself. Just, uh, just, just do one, and now do another one on top of that. Make a neat little pile. Mm -hmm. And now, actually, go ahead and you can cut your cards like that, and then deal, and cut, and deal, and cut, and deal, and cut, just like that. And you can deal from the top, the middle, the bottom. You can do chunks if you want. You can be quick and throw them all down. But the goal is that way we'll just mix our packs just a little bit. Uh -huh. And now in poker, you can pick your, your pack back up. In poker, you burn the top card, mm -hmm. right? So let's all burn a card. And now let's, let's do another. And now just burn as many as you want. And make sure you save a couple so the trick works. But you can do as many as you want. A couple or I can burn more? Yeah, as many as you want. Your choice. All right. And now you want to do one more? No. Later you're going to go, what if I had done one more? <laughs> you don't have to. I'm good. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, now I need everyone to count their cards, but let's do like a casino count. So you go one, two, three, four. What do you, how many do you have? Seven. Three. Seven, three. Eight. And eight. Okay, so that means we threw away in the middle of the table here um, maybe a little less than half of the deck, okay? So for the first time, because they haven't, no one has seen it, mm -hmm. what is your card that eight. you're thinking of? Ace of Clubs. The Ace of Clubs? Yep. Would it be pretty cool if the Ace of Clubs wound up in your packet? Sure. Well, it would. how about if it wound up on top of your packet? That would be even better. Let's see what you got. Jesus! So that's a, pre that's a pretty good card if you're playing poker. Wow. Yes. That's a pretty good card. Yes, but you, you're, a, you're, you're a poker yes. player. Yes, oh, no, what are you there's hoping, more. What are you hoping for? You get that. You get oh, that ace God, of clubs. More. What are you hoping to see on the table? Well, either more aces or straight flush. King, king down. Mary, clubs. can we see Real your flush. card oh, and yours? Oh, oh my! For those God. of you listening and cannot see this, all of our top cards, John. I think it's your camera that's showing it. All yep. of our top cards are aces. Boom. That is Whoa. wild. And you're a novice at see? this. See. Huh? He Just said you should have. You would have regretted not throwing one more card down. Either way, something often tells do, me. How often do people throw that card down then? Not that often. That now was this trick only that works. Was really cool. That trick only works uh, like one in a million times. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> it worked today. That was cool. Wow. That, that was, was neat. way cool. It's gonna bug me now. I'm gonna go home and think about that and how it happened. But that's awesome. Good wow. for you. That's a trick deck. <laughs> yeah. 
Jeez, I'm taking that trick deck home. Trick deck home with me. Um, Obviously, you're getting very, very good at doing this. Um, Is it just different types of card tricks that you start to learn and you're doing those? Or are you doing other types of tricks outside of cards? No, it's all kinds of stuff. So I got really um, excited about rubber band magic. And that's such a, I mean, magic is such a niche hobby. And then rubber band magic is such a niche within the niche. I mean, there's only like... I don't know, like 20 guys who care about rubber band magic. So um, I do, I still, it's still my first love in magic, but right. I love, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm very like a romantic about it right now. Like I just think it's cool. Oh, like that. I love performing for people. I love reading. I stay awake every night. I, I, I like have to go to sleep, but I'm every night I just fall asleep with a magic book in my hands. Like I've, I've like found all these like teachers and tutors and uh, it's fun to, it's, um, it's fun to like, um, this maybe this doesn't sound so good to say but like with the stuff that i'm doing at cards like i've been doing it for 10 years now and we're cards i've i'm good at it like we know what we're do- we have a drill like right. we kind of know what we're doing with cards it's like we come up with products and we do the writing and we have a voice and we like i've i i'm comfortable with it i i know what to do and um it's been a long time since i've had something that i w- where i was like really bad at it and i really you know it's like you, you like real good. suck at it and you're like man i'm like I want to be there, but I'm starting here. And that uh, journey of not being able to do it and how bad that feels, and then you work through it, and then you are able to do it. Oh, man, it's the best. I and mean, there's nothing. It's the best feeling in the world. Well, it's, it's great so that good. you have that because it happens to a lot of people who become success- successful. It's like, now what do I do? What, what keeps me happy and passionate about doing something else? And you're doing stuff that's always fun. I mean, cards is obviously something that's uber successful and very, very much fun. But this is, I mean, how much fun did we have? Everything you're doing, you're doing it and you're learning it really well, but you bring a ton of joy to people. That was a blast. Don't steal my watch, though. I, every, <laughs> I, I was in... Um, I was in Virginia racing cars uh, over the summer, and I was at a brewery that had opened, a friend of mine opened one, and there was a magician who was walking around with cards and tricks and stuff, and uh, I have gained probably 20, 30 pounds, and so my watch is really tight. And he said that he had tested getting my watch off, and I, he's like, I can almost always do it, but your watch is way too tight, but I was that close to getting your watch off. And I'm like, I had no idea you were touching my wrist or trying to get my watch off. He's like, yeah, I had got it unclipped, but I realized wow. that it was something that I didn't want to touch. And then I just clicked it back and didn't take your watch from you. But yeah, I'm gonna make sure I keep my keep That's my watch great. on my, this guy's gonna take it off me. But good for you. Um, I wanna be respectful of both your times. I ask this question uh, to everybody that comes in. Mary, I'll ask you first. Um, you've had the um, uh, experience of going from kind of traditional work in real estate to now hosting an event, also running a business and being an inventor. Uh, we ask for advice typically whether it's for entrepreneurs or in your case it can be an inventor. Any advice for anybody who's trying to invent or um, create? Just be persistent. Don't give up. Calvin Coolidge had that great quote, was it? It's, Education isn't important. He lists all these things that aren't important, but persistence is number one. Love that. And then, Axe, you've given us tons of information. Um, uh, any advice to somebody who is, it doesn't have to be getting into gaming, but they are setting off to do something that is non traditional, let's say. You know, I, schooling teaches you some traditional stuff. Sure. But, Something non-traditional. Yeah, I mean, I would I would echo what Mary said. I think persistence is the key thing that will differentiate um, people who make it work eventually from people who don't. Is you just have to 
most things don't work on your first try so you just have to kind of get up and and try again and try again and some it's also a pretty nice position of privilege to be able to do that but um but um that's that i think i think keeping trying uh, trying over and over is critical um but the other thing is i would say like uh there is no advice um i think this is true in a lot of different fields but um the, uh, there is no advice if there was advice that worked that where you were just like oh if you just do this it'll be successful then everyone would do that and they would all be right. successful but clearly there's no advice that works because that like right not like, everyone's successful right because it's like well if there was some hack that you could do to get out of doing all the hard work and all of that then everyone would do it and everyone's things would work, but that's not the case. So I would say that the only advice that is ever true that you can ever count on is it depends. So if people ask me, oh, should we get a lawyer? Should we get a patent? Or how should we go to Target? Or should we get a retail distributor or whatever? Any of these questions that they have are like, should I do e-commerce or should I enter into whatever it is? Like, it depends. It depends on what you're trying to do. It depends on what you want out of life. It depends on your model. Like I don't tell people to, I think cards, we had our very, very, very weird path. And I don't know, maybe people think that was like our, our grand plan, but it really wasn't. We just woke up every day and tried to do the least bad thing. And we didn't really know what we were doing. And we kind of stumbled through it. And I, and then people are like, oh, we should do the Cards Against Humanity path. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like yeah. we did not plan that out. Like I would not copy that. If I could do it again, I wouldn't do it that way, right? right. It was like, we just did what we had to do. Um, but the one thing that, that I do like about about working with my partners and our team at Cards is like we have a lot of comfort with with just that answer of like it depends. Like there is no one out there who can tell us the right way to do it. Like it it depends. Depends on what you want. Well, that's fascinating and great advice. We've had I don't know about a hundred guests come through and never anything like the two of you just said. What do people say? Like uh, like. Uh, I, you know, a lot it of depends. entrepreneurs are so full of shit. They go, they go like, when I was starting my co company, I had a bowl of oatmeal every day. And if you have a bowl of oatmeal every day, you could, you'll be successful. And it's like, you don't know why you're successful. <laughs> it's like you're just, you know you're just I, making that up. I, I agree with uh, with parts of that. I mean, yeah. we get a lot of the, you know, I you got to wake up at 4 a.m. I saw somebody post that on Facebook today. I was like, I don't wake up at 4 a.m. I Do go you to know, sleep at 2 o'clock. Let me tell you something. Sleeping eight hours a day and is like, more valuable than any amount of work you could do right. like work hard work smart not hard oh, right like nobody yeah. like there's so few stories of people who like became very successful and they like don't sleep and they killed themselves usually yeah. like people burn out and they destroy their lives yeah. and their relationships don't do i mean it's nothing is no amount of money or game is worth that yeah we got that's, a oh, lot. that's terrible advice well I, I see it's not just on the show but i, I see a lot of people who uh post up articles about you know you got to wake up and you got to meditate in the morning and then you got to you know, do 17 push-ups sure. and then have, you know, a glass, two, three glasses of water. Bowl of oatmeal. I, yeah, and yeah. I wake up in the morning in a in a panic because I'm running late and jump in my car and curse all the way down to sure. the city. So I think it's different for everybody. Like you said, it depends. Mm. Never heard that. I mean, one, one of the major motivating factors of me wanting to make games and do this was I didn't want to have to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Like, I didn't like having a job because I didn't want to wake up, and now I've, like, designed a whole life for myself where I don't have to wake Around up in the it. morning. And... Uh, I can't ever say it's ever helped or hurt. It's just how I am. And maybe there's other people who do like waking up and that's going to be for them. But like, I think it'd be really dumb for me to go, well, the secret to making a successful card game is to sleep in every morning. It's like, <laughs> it's just, and stay up playing magic at night. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, who, you know, who are you I don't know. Are you a late night yeah, guy? Yeah. Oh, are you kidding uh, me? Yeah. I stay I'm up as saying. late as I can and I'm playing video games or, or talking to friends or, um, I do a lot of comedy stuff and that's all like a depressing late night lifestyle. And, um, 
you know, now I like stay awake, like reading magic books, but yeah, yeah. it's like late night is when no one can bother you. Like, that's what I like about it, but that's yeah, not, for, that's not advice. That's just my, yeah. my, that's just my way of doing, you know, it's just, you know. Yeah. It's different for everybody. People tell me, oh, you know, wake up in the morning and do work. I say, well, at night, nobody's bugging me. So I like hanging out at night and doing what I like doing at night. Cause everybody's gone to sleep and I'm by myself. And I, I appreciate that. But yeah. It's different for everybody. Uh, real quick before I let you guys go. You're both very, very busy outside of obviously doing magic, creating um, everything that you've created so far and running some successful businesses. What do you do for fun? This is it. I'm doing it. living fun. I come on the ambitious entrepreneur's wheelhouse live netcast. <laughs> Boom. Oh, it was fun. We have fun with that's you on air. That's a great one. Um, Mary? I have to agree. This has been great. Well, I had a lot of fun with you guys. And uh, John and I knew that going into this one, it was going to be fun and it was going to be different than the traditional entrepreneur or oh, business absolutely. owner that would come on. Yes. Uh, Mary, congratulations to everything you guys have done. Now this is, you know, going on 17 hey, years. What, what is the this. deal? Can people just go to shop? People ask me sometimes how they get in and I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I just kind of walk in and no one stops me. <laughs> like I assume I'm allowed <laughs> well, to be there, but I, on the show floor, I just sort of walk in. Is that bad? Well, you're famous. You can't. I, no one knows I, of how I am. Well, well, in the gaming world, the, in, well, the trade's admitted for free always. Trade, okay. And educators and military. So veterans. if people want to go, just lie and say you're a veteran. Yeah, pretty okay. much. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can just go online and pre-purchase the tickets. Oh, sure. Um, okay. Or you can buy them right there. Okay, great. Uh, not everybody would do that, but half of my friends might do that now. <laughs> cool, cool, <laughs> cool friends. Yeah. Um, so Saturday, Sunday, not this weekend, next weekend. Mm -hmm. John and I are going to attend. Yep. Um, congratulations for everything you guys have done. Super, super excited to see it grow continuously year over year. Thank you very much. And Max, congratulations. I mean, uh, the backstory you think uh, might not be quite as interesting as the rest of us, but what a cool story. You've brought a ton of joy through Cards Against Humanity to at least my life. Um, Thank parties, you. people that we've uh, uh, spoken to, my friends. It's, it's our favorite thing to play. So Thanks. we appreciate and that. Multi-generations. Yeah, multi-generations, yeah. which... I think it's cool. Anybody from the age of, I don't know, probably 10-year-olds probably play it today, uh, all the way to I've played it with grandparents and everybody has a great time. So continue innovating and creating stuff. And I'm excited to watch, um, you know, I'm going to start following you on stuff if you do magic tricks. I'm excited to watch more of your magic. That was cool. Thanks. Yeah, that, that was cool. Was, that, that was, was cool. a wheelhouse first. John, yeah. anything from you? Uh, no, we're a little over, so I'm going to... Be respectful of their time. Yes, I will be respectful of their time. Uh, next week, only one show... But we will be back at 3 o'clock. We're going to have Eric Bayless, who we've had once before, the owner of the Big Onion Tavern Group. He just opened a new venue that's super cool. Um, I saw. I had a meeting with him. He told me about it. But then I saw uh, a clip at the opening, actually, on WGN News, fancy enough. Uh, and I want him to tell you about it. It's very uh, positive, motivating as to what he's done and his group. Uh, we also have Frank Ignatius. He is the owner of an on, it's, well, it's online sports betting that is now legal in Indiana and is going to become legal in Illinois. He has built the conduit and a company around this, and it's fantastic, the technology that's involved with on the on the minute sports betting and he can explain it uh, super nice guy funny guy and uh, I look forward to meeting him in person we've talked half a dozen times on the phone super cool 
All right, awesome. Yeah. So we'll see everybody next Wednesday at 3 o'clock, and thank you for tuning into two shows today. In three, two, one. Thank you, guys.